welcome to Book Chatter, the monthly book club podcast sponsored by the Longmont Public Library. I'm Barb, your host for this episode, and joining me are Denise. Hi. And Josie. Hello. To talk about our latest pick, The Writer's Library, the authors you love on the books that change their lives by Nancy Pearl and Jeff Schwager. And folks, no spoiler alert today. This book was a different sort of read, and there's really no need to warn you about plot points uh, that you might not want to hear yet. Uh, You'll understand more as we talk about the book. But before we dive into the writer's library, we thought we'd start out with something a little bit different and talk a little bit about what we are reading right now or have been meaning to read recently and haven't quite got there yet. I'll jump in first. I just finished uh, rereading one of my favorite, all-time favorite uh, series of mysteries called The Chronicles of Brother Cadfile. And <laughs> you me onto these. Oh, they're wonderful, and I revisit them every few years because I just love the world that she builds. This is Ellis Peters. I should have mentioned her. Uh, this is the pen name of Edith Pargeter. British author, and she uh, is often credited with popularizing this genre called historical mystery novel. That's what the Brother Cad File Chronicles are all about. And uh, a more serious read, I've been, um, well, thanks to being reminded, uh, last month was Autism Acceptance Month, and so I pulled a book off the shelf called Unmasking Autism, Discovering the New Faces of Neurodiversity, and that's by Devin Price. And for my Libby listening, I have been boning up on my French because I have a trip coming up this month to France. And so I've been listening to all audio French and reminding myself how not to put my French foot in my mouth. So (laughs) it's been fun. Denise, what have you been reading or about to read? Um, I right now am reading Out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis. Which, interestingly, was one that I hadn't actually heard of, even though I'm very familiar with the author. But a young man came in a few months ago, probably 12, 13 years old, and asked to put a hold on it. I was like, I want that. (laughs) So now it's my turn. Um, I also want to read uh, Little Souls by Sandra Dallas. I think it's her newest. Yeah, it's her newest. And Personal Librarian by Marie Benedict is also on the Mm -hmm. latest. Good picks. Yeah. Josie, how about Me. you? Yeah. Um, I'm currently reading uh, Foul Lady Fortune. It's a mystery, uh, not a mystery, but a fantasy, a UIA fantasy by Chloe Gong. Mm-hmm. And I'm also reading, um, it's it's an advanced reading copy of her book, Immortal Longings. It's another mm-hmm. fantasy mm-hmm. coming out um, in July. So. I got to read a little bit. It's of one of the perks of working in the library, yes, advanced yes. reader copies. Um, and those are, they're, they're pretty fun books. I, I'm enjoying them. Uh, Foul Lady Fortune, there's like, you know, a spy. And they're, they're in, actually, it's not really fantasy. Hmm. I know what I call it. Anyway, it's good. <laughs> um, and then I, I'd like to read um, The Undertow by the Slow Civil War or something like that, and it's mm-hmm. by Jeff Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a professor, and he talks about sort of where our country is right now and the, the polarization and mm. um, where we're headed. Are we headed to a slow civil war? It just keeps building and building and building. Mm. Um, I started listening to it, and he has his initial um, introduction is about Harry Belafonte. 
Oh, for heaven's sake. He just passed away recently. Just recently. But I learned a little bit about Mm -hmm. him and how he wasn't just an actor or a singer, but he was an activist. Right. And did a lot with the civil rights movement, Mm. uh, with Dr. King. Um, Mm -hmm. He, a lot of his personal fortune went into the civil rights. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm looking forward to to reading that. Sometimes listening, it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. But it's a long long hold list, so I have to wait. Okay. Well, let's dive in with a little bit of information about the authors, or I should say uh, collectors of these interviews, uh, and the book itself. Best-selling author, librarian, literary critic, and devoted reader, Nancy Pearl regularly speaks about the importance and pleasure of reading at libraries, literacy organizations, and community groups around the world. She can be heard on NPR's Morning Edition discussing her favorite books, her monthly TV show on the Seattle channel, Book Lust with Nancy Pearl, features interviews with authors, poets, and other literary figures. Also known as America's Librarian, Nancy was the inspiration for the Archie McPhee Librarian action figure. She's got a shush finger. It's a little dated. Uh, her her, consp- her co-conspirator, Jeff Schwager, is a Seattle-based writer, editor, producer, and playwright who has also had a successful career as an entertainment and media executive. He has written extensively on books, movies, and theater, and has interviewed many of the most esteemed artists in each of those mediums. And to me, it seems like these two were just fated to write this book. In their starred review of the Writer's Library, Publishers Weekly magazine says, Pearl and Schwager bring boundless enthusiasm and curiosity to this eclectic and probing book of interviews. The 22 authors represented are a varied and never boring cohort. Readers of this delightful compendium will relish the chance to find many of those shared loves as well as discover new ones. And Kirkus Reviews calls it a spirited collection offering intimate insights into the writing life. So that's the blurb. Uh, let's let's talk initial impressions and your ratings. Josie, would you like to start us off? <laughs> I thought I'd go there first. <laughs> um, I read the first one, <clears throat> the first interview. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, who was, what was his name? Franzen. Was that Franzen? That sounds right. Jonathan Franzen. Jonathan Franzen. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked through uh, the rest of the, the authors. I'm like, oh. I, I mean, I, I know who these authors are. Yes. They're famous. Um, yes. They write bestsellers. Uh, mm-hmm. And I I think Michael Chabon is the only one I've read. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I didn't, I, I read the first interview and then I wasn't at all interested. And mm-hmm. So I failed my assignment. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Thank God we're not graded here. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that's, I can't really even give it a star because I didn't really give it a chance. Mm. Uh, I was totally uninterested in it. Mm-hmm. Authors that you have never read and who they had read and who they suggested. And I just, I didn't see the point of the book, mm. why this mm-hmm. book was written, mm-hmm. who it would appeal to. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I love this. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's a hard pass. Yep. Gotcha. And Denise, your thoughts? Um, I gave it three stars, mm-hmm. um, which is my lowest so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it had good merits for certain situations and certain, mm-hmm. um, you know, what depending on what you're looking for and why you're reading. Um, 
to me, it seemed it was interesting to, for getting to know some authors a little better. Like, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'd love to know what they read or why or, you know, find out more about them versus just like Wikipedia mm-hmm. um, or IMDb or something which yeah. is for writers. But so if you're looking for information gathering, it's it's nice. Like Good oh, resource. Yeah, let me find a more obscure author or <laughs> a connection. I mean, not them, but what they're sometimes but what, what they, they have read. Yes. Because yeah. mm-hmm. like I follow. one of them, basically a lot of her early reading and influential reading was French books. Yes. Which we don't necessarily even have access to, mm-hmm. maybe now. Mm-hmm. And I, the reason it wasn't higher partly had to do with it. It was, I thought it was more authors, but less depth to each one. Mm. Um, it was a lot of questions mm-hmm. that to me seemed more surface. Like some were deeper than others, but I, I thought they really, it, they didn't knock it out of the park with the subtitle, which mm. is authors you love on the books that change their lives. Mm-hmm. And they'd have a few sprinkled in, but mm-hmm. I thought it should have been more of a focus mm-hmm. rather than like lists. I read this, I read this, I read this. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved this, I liked that. But yep. more of the why and more maybe an insight into their life as it pertained to that, mm-hmm. personal and writing. Also thought that interview style kind of seemed a bit abrupt or choppy to go from one person to another person to another person to another person. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, almost kind of would have thought maybe a little banter between all of those authors would be kind of fun. Oh, yeah. Versus the interview style. It was a little mm-hmm. bit, it was it was definitely harder as an audio book oh. than a regular book. I did. You listened to it rather than Yeah, I started okay. listening and I was, I was bookmarking like, all these <laughs> things. I'm like, how am I going to remember and keep track? And <laughs> so I finally, I did get the print book yeah. and used both oh, um, yeah. to get through it. But it was it seemed more like a, a literature assignment in college. Mm. 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 That's a good way to characterize it. I, 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 and I'm, I'm in the same boat with y'all. I gave it a little bit higher. I gave it like three and a half stars because after a while, and, and we'll talk about this more, in a minute, this this was one of the toughest ones for me to just get into, mm-hmm. and and there were multiple reasons, and and um, so you know, tough beginning. If if a book doesn't hook you, you know, by the first chapter, you ought to think about ditching it because, as one of the authors says in this book, Michael Shabon says, "Life is too short for bad books." Well, I took mm-hmm. Michael Shabon's advice. There you go, <laughs> Josie, <laughs> and you wrote it. Yeah, but um, so yeah, didn't fail. No, all. not at all. See, so you. Got at least that far. Uh, but, um, yeah, this was hard to get into, and it had a lot to do with um, name-dropping and uh, just feeling overwhelmed by the amount of information that the interviewees were throwing with their interviewers back and forth and back and forth. And there seemed to be a lot of assumptions going on about uh, what you as the reader uh, could fill in. Uh, there right. was missing information yes. there, yeah. and like a you lot just came in in the middle of a conversation. And and yeah, yeah. and you're you're really struggling to keep up. Uh, and that happened in in a number of the interviews, and so that was kind of off putting. Uh, so yeah, this was a hard one to get into, but I think. Uh, I hit a stride after about the fifth interview, <laughs> and just decided, okay, I'm along for the ride. I'm gonna I'm gonna just see where that takes me and. 
after a while, I started to you know pick up some themes, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. that, that kind of ran like threads through various interviews. And, and I do feel I do feel that the uh, I think it was the introduction, not the forward. I think the introduction talks about why the authors wrote this book. And uh, it is kind of an interesting project that they undertook, and and how it all got started is is kind of interesting as well. So, if you if you've got that in mind, that they wanted to talk to these authors about how their reading informs their writing, and um, and that's as individual as any any of us. Uh, what we read informs who we are and what we do, and. Uh, we're all going to have different answers for those questions, I guess. Before we jump into the questions, I th- should say shout out to Heidi Slowinski. Uh, HeidiSlowinski.com supplied some helpful questions for guiding our discussion for this unusual book. Um, so maybe I could start uh, with what what the first question is, what about this book drew you in and kept you reading? Well, it was sheer perseverance <laughs> on my part. Because yes. like I said, that first interview, I was just really just about cringing. Uh, my emotional reaction to that interview was, I have no clue what you guys are talking about. I don't know whose names you're dropping. I don't understand why, you know, the conversation's going this way and it feels like I'm I'm missing major chunks here. So I, you know, I just stuck with it. And like I said, after a while, the personalities, I guess, drew me in. Because every one of these authors uh, came at the the career of writing in very different ways. And also I, I got curious about what are the kinds of things they read to their kids? What are the kinds of things they read when they're not writing a book? Um, what were the what was the turning point in their life that made them decide I'm going to be a writer? I'm I'm going to do this for a living, and that started to draw me in. But boy, it was a long, hard slog for about the first five interviews. Um, so yeah, that was kind of frustrating, and that's that kind of influenced why I gave it three and a half. And I think. Like you said, Denise, that may have, that may be the lowest rating I've given anything in the past three years. Was it because of the <clears throat> the authors that or didn't get interesting until number five or six? Or oh, good point. Uh, you know, there were a couple authors at the get go who were kind of dry. I'll say, oh, okay. kind of dry for me mm-hmm. anyway. And oh. it started. <clears throat> pardon me. It started to perk up with. Um, I think her name is Susan Choi. Am I right? Yeah, uh, Susan Choi's interview really grabbed me by the shirt and sucked me in because she started talking about children's books and um, brought in her unique perspective on a series of books that happens to be The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And she talks about how as a child and f- from an Asian-American background, she adored those books. They were they were you know, a, a seminal part of her reading experience as a kid. And she thought, I want to read these with my kids. And they started in on one of them and they both agreed to stop. And the reason why is what stopped me in my tracks. They noticed something about some racial kinds of stereotypes that were prominent in the book hmm. and how the, uh, the, evil 
people were swarthy. They wore turbans. They came from the south where it's hot. And all the good people were blonde-haired, blue-eyed, noble people from the north. And that that uh, discontinuity with her own experience really showed itself when she started to read this book with her kids. And that brought me up short, and I thought, wow, this is, this is an insight I have never had, mm-hmm. especially reading Chronicles of Narnia. I just never saw them that way. And so I thought, okay, I need to give this book a chance because <laughs> mm-hmm. there are insights here you know, that, that, that could be coming up in the next few interviews that maybe I hadn't thought about before. So did anything surprise you about this book or its topics? Topic, like... Uh, the authors you love and the books that change their lives. I guess I, I thought it'd be more narrative, not just a series of interviews. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that it would be like a book that, she, you know, Nancy would talk about just her her interactions with different authors, her mm-hmm. her life, I, I guess, as a librarian and as somebody who does a lot of uh, readers' advisory to use library speak. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I didn't expect it to be. A book of interviews. Mm-hmm. The it script weird. Yeah. yeah, the script style I think made it weird. Um yeah. it, it read, yeah, as if like we could each take a part and read. We could each read. What sort of like a, a little mini play. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that affected the flow hmm. because I f- I almost felt like the the interviewer questions interrupted. In some ways, oh, interesting. What the person was saying, mm-hmm. I started reading. Kind of to go back to the first question a little bit. I started reading for. I kind of read the question and be like, because um, I'm reading for the person. So almost skipping some of the questions and okay. just mm-hmm. just reading the author's response. Yes, because it flowed better. Hmm. And I was interested in because um, I'm always just curious about people mm-hmm. and where they come from and what they did and. All of these people are very different, and a lot of them are very different from my life and my experiences. So I wanted to find that and then how that um, shaped their writing. Mm-hmm. But still was it still was a bit of a disconnect from, like I say, what I felt was the purpose of the book. <laughs> and so it surprised me that I wasn't getting, the, like I say, those, those real ha- – that real emphasis on the life-changing authors' books and the life-changing, right? Yeah, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot more. Um, what are you reading now? And <laughs> what did you read as a kid? Um, so yeah, I, I mean, when I read um, uh, newspapers mm-hmm. and they have a whole interview section, yeah, uh, and, and I hate those. <laughs> I just it's not it's not something you're supposed to be reading. You, you interviews just to be listened to. Yeah, you know, it's a good point. So I, yeah. That turned me off. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, what feelings did this book evoke for you? Um, for me, it evoked curiosity, mm-hmm. as I said. Um, people who have different experiences and then yes. all, and then wrote and then what they wrote. Some, you know, their life experiences you wouldn't necessarily think or what they read translated into like the sci-fi fantasy series. Right, um, right. Or something like that. And then for some people, it really was an extension of their experiences and their being and their mm-hmm. um, their family, their culture. Yes. Uh, so it wasn't always and how different they were. Um, the, the curiosity of, of the potential difference for the next one kept me 
going a bit. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there was, like I said, that frustration with the lack of depth of each interview. So mm-hmm. it was like the, the curiosity won out more often, but just by a nose. <laughs> <laughs> so mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Barb? Well, let's see. It, it uh, well, the, the initial was frustration because, uh, you know, when I started out, I wanted to like this book. I, I like to give a book a fighting chance before I put it down and go on to the next thing that I want to read. And, yeah, this one fought me pretty hard at the front end, and I had to kind of make a decision. Okay, well, yeah, we got a podcast next month, so <laughs> <laughs> I'd better read some. And, uh, yeah, that, that was the first one. Uh, the other one, as I mentioned before with Susan Choi and her perspective on a children's book that I have dearly loved, kind of getting flipped on its head and uh, making me think you know, uh, are these books that I have cherished and shared with my own kids, recommended to other people, uh, do I need to take another look? And so that was thought-provoking. Uh, and, yeah, it really, you know, triggered some deep thought. There were there was a moment uh, of just sheer hilarity that I had to share with my husband and uh, came in the interview uh, with uh, one of the authors fairly early on. And so that, that, that was another clincher that said, oh, I ought to keep reading this. This is kind of fun. But the author was Luis Alberto Urea, and he was, uh, what would you say, a protege of Ursula Le Guin. It just, mm-hmm. But just by happenstance, I guess, circumstances in, in when he hit college and when she was doing some guest lecturing and things. And she really took uh, Luis under her wing and, and taught him things about writing that, you know, it's like a whole master class in an afternoon. And he called, called, she called him Luisito. Little Louis, you know, because she she you know, it's just so endearing. And uh, let's see, I love this quote. I'll just read a section here. This is Louis talking in his interview. Ursula coached me through so much, and she was very, very firm, but so kind. And she told me, Luisito, it's time for you to read feminists. You better start reading women. Let's get with that. She'd give me these insane bits of wisdom because she was convinced I was actually going to do this thing. I was actually going to write. And she would tell me these things like, I want you to remember something. And I said, what? And she said, invariably, when men write about women, Mm -hmm. their characters in some part of the book will stop before a mirror and say, my God, my breasts are magnificent. (laughs) And I was just dying, you know, and I didn't know if she was serious or not. And she smacked her hand on the table and she said, we don't do that. I said, I'll remember. I will remember. (laughs) I just loved it. I had to stop reading and take the book into my husband. You've got to hear this. You've got to hear this. This is incredible. (laughs) So, yeah, there were, again, uh, you know, giving this book a chance was a real slog, but those are priceless moments. And, and yeah. So I, I did have some very enjoyable emotions reading this book, but it was a hard slog at the beginning. Yeah, I think like you had mentioned, Barb, I was turned off by, I get turned up. I, I don't read literary fiction, and um, mm-hmm. I've never been an English major. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot of genre fiction, fantasy, sci-fi, things like that. Yeah. I, I guess I, I looked through the names, and I felt not chastised, but that... Oh. Golly, well, you I haven't read any it. of these people. Yes. I mean, am you I? 
a bad librarian? Am I a bad American? <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I'm not reading these things that the writers I'm supposed to love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I don't know. I guess, I guess I felt like um, this is not the book for me because these are the people I don't care about reading. Mm. Yeah, that's valid. Mm-hmm. That is valid. And they're, they're, you know, they're probably wonderful writers. And they're considered the the pinnacle, and that's why she chose them. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but, I felt a little chastised, and that yeah. I didn't know who these people were. That the name was being dropped, and I just don't need mm. to be preached at mm-hmm. <laughs> about my go. reading. <laughs> and you know, it it. Uh, you're touching on something I think that they they admitted to in in the introduction. Oh, okay, that this is a very subjective list. That these two people, Nancy and Jeff, found each other due to a shared love of one particular book. It all kind of hinged on this instant rapport with someone who really likes a book that you like, uh-huh. but it's kind of obscure that nobody's ever heard of, and uh, so that uh, yeah, I, I, they admitted that you know this is our own personal. Favorites, and we even had to narrow it down to just Americans uh, in order to create something that was book size. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, you're getting a very personalized list here. Uh, what was I, their What was their point in writing this? Yeah, their point was to make money on. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of doubt it, but <laughs> the point was um, they shared a love of uh, these particular authors and the way they write. But they were curious to know. They wanted to get behind the uh, the uh, the writer facade and talk to these people about how does your reading inform your writing? What is it about uh, the writer's life that is shaped by their reading? And and it is interesting to, as you read through all these interviews to see how diverse that informing is. Some writers, for example, say. Uh, if I'm writing a book about 19th century New York City, I'm going to get everything I can get my hands on about 19th century New York City facts. Mm-hmm. They're not going to read a novel about it because they're afraid that the way that that author has described things is somehow going to invade their mm-hmm. work, mm-hmm. and they're you know they're going to without thinking they're going to co-opt something. Uh, others, on the other hand, are very free about, oh, sure, yeah, I'd read somebody else's uh, writings fiction on 19th century New York City because uh, I want to get a flavor. I want to get the way, you know, uh, people were talking. And if they've got good dialogue in their book, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I can I can learn from that. So, yeah, the, the, the approach is so different. And uh, that was kind of fascinating to me. Denise, I think you had something on that point, maybe? So, yes, I... I got a little bit different take on the point, but it took me a while to figure out the point. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I, and I found myself kind of asking, sort of like, this, it's going along, but but overall, why? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe it was to show um, a little bit more of like a like a humanity of you know, like we have a name and a picture. You know, mm-hmm. you get the name on it front and you get the little picture on the back flap mm-hmm. and a little bit of bio, a couple of paragraphs when you read a book. Yes. But to show like sometimes these are people who do the things we do. They read the things we read or had, you know, they they had childhoods and mm-hmm. they lived different places. So mm-hmm. a little bit of that yeah. versus just a name and a photo. Beyond that, I 
don't, yeah, I didn't get a, a, a real deep point or a really, um, like an exclamation point mm -hmm. on that mm -hmm. as to why. It wasn't as dialed in as we've seen with most everything else we've read. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. So one of the things that I, I actually did like was, and, and I think like Josie, I do tend to have my categories I like to read and um, I'm pretty particular about how sort of deep, scary, um, certain things that I just can't do, and I find that that limits me, mm -hmm. um, and I'm okay with a lot of that. But there was one author that just kind of went, oh, I think I'm going to read her, and I hadn't heard of her before oh. because I'm not necessarily, when I start looking at, oh, this award winner and this, mm -hmm. you know, um, bestseller and this list and that, it becomes a blur sometimes. But the one that stood out to me was Maza Mengisti. Mengisti? Yeah. Yes, Mengisti. Uh, she's Ethiopian, but she's lived, she lived in Ethiopia until she was, I believe, four. Mm -hmm. Then they moved to Nigeria, Kenya, and the United States. And within the United States, they lived several places, including Colorado for a while. Yeah. Really wish they would have said what town it was. Yeah. But, um, I would love to have known. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Somewhere with snow. Yeah. We know that. <laughs> yeah. But I liked, um, there were a lot of, so there were a lot of different reasons for the things that people talk, the authors talked about reading and liking mm -hmm. and why and how they applied it. For her, it was, uh, like some people it was very, it was more technical, and some it was more personal. Mm -hmm. For her, it was very much personal. First of all, she didn't grow up reading or knowing English in Ethiopia. Um, I was in I, I was, I stopped and thought. It, it gave me pause when she was talking about um, literature in Ethiopia and reading and books and poetry. And she said, mm. the interesting thing is most poetry in Ethiopia is oral. Yeah. So they're word plays. They're not mm. written down. And I thought, well, it is an interesting experience to, to just hear it and retell it. And that's how you know it. You're memorizing it or someone keeps mm -hmm. telling it. Um, and just all the implications of what might change or, you know, interpretation, that kind of thing, because it's not written down. Mm -hmm. And just how it changed as she learned English and the influences she had, yeah. negative and positive, yeah. which might be why she didn't mention this, the town in Colorado. Right? Ah, yeah. But I liked one of the things, I could, and I guess if I were, not as a quote, but I liked this sort of flip that she did because she talks about... Um, Homer being mm -hmm. very influential, and she really liked Homer mm -hmm. and read it and just kind of um, really digested it a mm -hmm. lot over time. And then she goes to fill out the application for the University of Michigan and asked about what writing influenced her. And instead of going in, she's like, it surprised me. And like almost like she <laughs> she didn't know this was happening as it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, instead of just writing about Homer, which would have been very natural and just flowed out of her, she writes about this recent book she re read about UFOs yes, and how she was so enthralled with the concept and, and she's just talking about how this was so amazing and how this could be possible and just on and on where, you know, you, just, you can picture like 10 people sitting around just cocking their head going, what? And then she has this realization that the author had been abducted by aliens. She was just 
so like wow, like a like a little kid opening the best yes. Christmas present. She's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> and she's like. To this day, I cannot believe I got accepted into that. I don't know why they wanted me. It depends one of the best essays they ever read. Yeah. I have a feeling it's because mm. it was something that no one else had said before. Yep. It's like, this yes. person has personality and something to offer. Mm-hmm. But that was really interesting. It's like, you know, hard right turn. Mm-hmm. And um, But the biggest influence for her was... Um, her experiences because part of the reason they left Ethiopia had to do with the revolution that was happening there when she was a child. Mm -hmm. And she talked about starting to read just everything about revolution Mm -hmm. because it was her personal journey. She just, she wanted to know it for herself. Mm -hmm. Um, I think initially more than it had to do with writing. She wanted to just it didn't matter what the revolution was, with the country, the time, the people. It didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And she, the um, one of the questions that was asked was, um, would she ever write about um, basically the people who've who've come out of the revolution to America, this, those immigrants who have fled? And she said, no, because I really think this has already been done. It's been done very well and very thoroughly by really good authors. So I don't think I could add to it, but my focus is on the people who stayed. And so she just digested and just devoured everything she could about the concept and the nuances of it, and then that's what she writes. So Mm -hmm. it's more out from her um, because she really thinks that not only does she want us to know her story, but to affect change from a personal perspective. Mm-hmm. And so that that was I was like I want to I want to read her now. Now you want to read? I her. do. Yeah, yeah. I had so. the same experience. Uh, uh, one of the authors interviewed here was Jane Hirschfeld. Hirschfeld, sorry, mm-hmm. Jane Hirschfeld is a poet, and um, her interview is uh, very thoughtful. She talks a lot about poetry and how you know it can go in and out of style but also relevance mm-hmm. that for example she mentions a poem by W.H. Auden uh, called September 1st 1939 which was you know right on the cusp of World War II and where he's con- uh, you know commenting on the 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 zeitgeist the you know the the what's in the air at that moment and it's very prescient and people found that a profound poem to go back to uh, after September 11th, and uh, how poetry over time can can speak to you, uh, even though it was written for a totally different circumstance or or uh, situation or people. And but I loved what she had to say about uh, what what poetry and other forms of art uh, does, how it functions in your life. And uh, you know, she made it very personal. It was you know, she writes poetry to remind herself what life is about. It's not, you know, she's not always thinking about everybody else. Mm-hmm. She's off, often explaining what does this mean? What does this mean to herself? And, uh, but uh, she closes her, her interview uh, with uh, Nancy and Jeff uh, talking about what poetry does and art in general. And she says, poems say over and over again, you're going to die. All those you love are going to die. The psyche boggles before it. The world is, I am transient. How can that be? But then because a poem is in some way beautiful and because its passageways, doors, and windows open to the mysterious, 
this basic truth becomes, for a moment, not only visible, but a thing we can agree to. The shock of grief and the ecstatic joy of this life become an alloy, one that lets us, for its duration, understand the incomprehensible and not be blinded by seeing it. And, wow, yeah, that's another one of those passages where I got goosebumps. Mm-hmm. So that, that to me, was what made this book readable once I gave it a chance, mm-hmm. <laughs> was those little nuggets of gold, you know, hiding in every interview. And uh, you might wait a few pages for something like that to really leap off the page. Uh, and you had to, like you said, Denise, to suffer through, and, and you too, Josie, suffer through the... the uh, the format they chose. And they mentioned, too, in an interview, and I, and I hope we can include a link to it for you all to, to uh, view at your leisure, if you'd like, uh, an interview of Nancy and, and Jeff talking to uh, an author who's interviewed in the book about the book. And they talk about how uh, difficult the, pro- uh, the, pro- the book almost died for lack of editing. They did all these interviews and they had all this raw material and they're all, you know, Jeff and Nancy are looking, it's like, oh, now what? What do we do? How do we pull this together and make it coherent? And uh, thankfully, uh, another person who was um, gifted at editing could come in and just sort through the hours and Mm -hmm. hours of conversation and trim it down, tighten it up, Mm -hmm. uh, get rid of the the dead spots and things like that and and make a cohesive work out of it. And uh, so, yeah, you're actually seeing another hand in here too or another uh, engineer maybe Mm -hmm. uh, who listened to all this and decided what to keep and what to toss. This could have been a podcast. Yes. Really? Yeah. It could. <laughs> and I think people, so. two authors per episode. And yep. Yep. You'd hear, you know, you'd hear the discussion with them. Mm-hmm. Might have been better. It might have been. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. We, we could have yeah. given the podcast more stars. <laughs> <laughs> it would have. It would have definitely had a, had a, uh, made a difference for the audiobook. Definitely. For sure. Definitely. Uh, to have yeah. Who reads it? Huh? Mm. Who reads the audiobook? Um, so the authors read their part and then I was still a little bit confused. Um, and maybe I just didn't dig deeply enough as to whether each author was reading theirs or someone was reading it for them. That I wasn't sure. Um, yeah. So it was definitely the two authors that read their Mm -hmm. interview parts. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, which I thought in some ways also made it choppy because you'd have two or three voices in each chapter. Mm-hmm. Right. I have enough voices in my head without <laughs> having some. So, um, yeah. I'll Do be darned. What, what interesting, what I found also interesting um, was when I started reading, I was like, oh, okay, we've got the names, we've got mm-hmm. the, the books, the authors, this and that. Um, and some are different categories and things. Mm-hmm. Number one, I did start to see patterns Mm-hmm. Um, of repeated, and I thought, okay, because it made me sort of as a tangent think about, well, what makes something a classic or what makes something quality oh, yeah. literature? Um, is it who is reading it and what they're doing with it? Is mm-hmm. it the popularity? Is it the longevity? Um, but there were a few that stood out to me as repeated by more than than two people. Right. Uh, and they were, of course, Chronicles of Narnia were, yeah. were mentioned a lot. Mm-hmm. Great Gatsby. Yes. Um, as, uh, Watership Down. Mm-hmm. And then as authors, you had Judy Bloom, Ray Bradbury. Rad- 
You had Judy Bloom, Ray Bradbury, mm-hmm. Homer, Dickens, Walt Whitman. Those are all over the place. Yes. You know, you yes, you're right. grounding. And a lot of them also were mentioned did happen to be more um, either younger, you know, younger material because you're mm-hmm. most influenced, I think, when you're young and you haven't mm-hmm. read yes. so much and your brain's not cluttered with like to-do lists and bills to pay. <laughs> and But there were a lot of those, you know, that went through there mm-hmm. and they were poets in with most everybody had other authors, but then also a poet here and there. Mm -hmm. Um, Very diverse, even within what each person was mentioning. Right. Um, I noticed that the the, the one interview that (laughs) um, (laughs) he mentioned uh, the effect, the the influence of librarians and public libraries. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if that was A few people did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Few people, yeah, overarchingly, they yes. had school librarian or public librarian. Definitely. And a, a few times, um, Nancy talked about her perspective. It was mm-hmm. like, as a children's librarian, or this is what right. I do, and then what about you? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was nice, especially just from our perspe- perspective as sure. librarians. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also thought there was some things that stood out more Mm-hmm. was because I'm all about the weirdness. You know? <laughs> I don't care if I'm gardening or if I'm reading. I like the weird stuff, you know, and it doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean sci-fi, but the unusual because mm-hmm. you expect the things I just named yeah, and the people and things that they are going to study, standards in school. Sure. And, but then there was, like Latham talked about, um, <laughs> he had this this basically obsession with, what he called pulped dime pulp dime store paperbacks. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, what's what's pulp? Like I'm thinking pulp fiction, mm-hmm. you know. Like mm-hmm. Yeah. So I looked it up, and um, not to be like super nerdy, but um, basically it had connotations of cheap and disposable, but mm-hmm. also subjects like short fiction, usually lurid, horror, lurid, yeah. crime, war, sci-fi, fantasy, or westerns. And I was like, okay. So it's like kind of almost like the throwaway, but you want to keep reading. The candy is kind of what we'll say. Yes. You know you're not getting any deep literary life-changing out of it probably. Mm-hmm. But it's good for an hour to as an escape. Oh. And he collects them. Like he yes. loves the covers. He loves the stories. And it's like he has a whole section in his house full of those. And that was like, oh, wow. Okay, I wouldn't have thought of that because you – I guess my – What's in my mind when I think about really successful authors and ones that are writing things with either deep meaning or deep impact or mm-hmm. or strong popularity, they've had this foundation of certain classics yeah. and certain like really oh, yeah. standard literature and very elevated. And it's like he loves this, you know, this sort of like cheap stuff that kind of right. is is intended to be disposable. I'm like, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And and some people mention like comic books, um, mm-hmm. different things like that. You can get inspiration from anywhere. And I was yes. kind of like, yeah, that's true because it's really just about sparking a creativity mm-hmm. and loosening up. I think maybe some of the pretenses that tend to maybe give writers right. block or whatever, keep you from finishing that next book. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was really fascinating to kind of turn it on its head a little bit. But then it was also a little juxtaposed with Amor Toll's reading when he talks about underlining, making notes in the margins, tracking patterns, motifs, 
And so he's got the more nuts and bolts kind of focus. Yeah. I'm I'm influenced by and love these books that help me be a better writer. Mm-hmm. So everyone's coming at it from I love because fill in a different blank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just as a connection that I made with a previous book, um, I was reading Siri Hustvedt. Thank you. Her interview, she talks about having mirror touch synesthesia. Yes. And that connected me back to when we did Once There Were Wolves yes. with N.T. Flynn. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. But then it just sort of went on. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Can't you talk some more about that? It was exactly <laughs> I would a tell, have loved to have heard that. tell me more moment. How mm-hmm. does that influence? Like, does it keep you from reading things? Does it keep you from writing <gasps> yeah. things? Is it too painful sometimes? And that wasn't there. So... I was like, that wasn't their mission. So no, but yes. it was a little cliffhanger. <laughs> exactly. Uh, definitely would have liked to know more, especially because we kind of looked into the science of it with that book. And if mm-hmm. um, if you're not sure what we're talking about, a few episodes ago, we did once there were wolves, and um, we had a lot of fascinating between the fiction and the science. It was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. So those were most of most of the things that I had, except mm-hmm. I would say. If you leave with nothing else, if you want to delve into this book, I would recommend just read what the author says. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not sure about all the other things, mm-hmm. just skip the interviewer questions and those kind of things. Yeah. Do read the introduction. There's some interesting stuff at the very beginning yeah. by Susan Orlean. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I've just, read her. Yeah. <laughs> she was good. Yeah. I understand she really wanted to, to be interviewed for the book, but they never found the time or the place. Oh, and so yeah. she, you know, they asked, would you write the, the forward? And she very graciously agreed. Um, yeah. But yeah. And that was actually one of the, the least, one of the things I liked least about the book was the one lone interview that was done completely by email. Mm-hmm. There was one author that they were unable to ever catch up with physically because part of the whole uh, premise for the book was let's get face-to-face with the author, preferably in their own home so we can see their library and and talk about the books that have influenced their writing. And this one author, for whatever reason, they just never could catch up with her physically, I guess, in the same place. And so they did the interview and compared to the others, it falls, for me, it falls very flat. It, it yeah. feels like, okay, I wrote you a question. Okay, I'll write you back an answer. And it feels like an email. It, it does feel like an email. So that, and they're uh, writers, interesting. Yeah, yeah. isn't that fascinating? Uh, but especially compared to the freshness and the give and take that's in the interviews that were done face-to-face, yes. it just seems to, 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 to lack something. It's mm-hmm. very dry. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's very so that was my least favorite part of the book was that that particular interview. Yeah, I, w- I would echo what you said, Denise, and say, you know, this this book is kind of hard to categorize. It's a little hard to get into, but I think there are treasures there. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy a particular author, this is a real window into their uh, personality, uh, a little bit of background. If it, Like you said, the blurb in the back of the book is not always giving you... Uh, a whole lot of information about how the author got to the point that they're at as an author. And this kind of fills in that information. But also, I think it's a great tool for a bibliophile. You know, mm-hmm. if if you enjoy a particular author like Susan Choi, 
um, seeing what's on her shelf is kind of interesting. Seeing the authors that she admires and would read next is is just another way to get at a good list of things to read next. And for that, I think it's it's a great tool for book lovers and also yeah for us librarians who have to do readers' advisory and uh, yeah keep up with it and keep up with it yeah. yeah. Thank you, Denise and Josie, for a wonderful and thoughtful discussion of the Writer's Library. Next month, we'll be reading and discussing Fox and I, An Uncommon Friendship by Catherine Raven. Against all odds, in over several months, a solitary-by-nature biologist and a wild red fox create a relationship. Raven decamped from her childhood home at age 15 to escape her violent father and indifferent mother, then started college at 16. Years of rangering in national parks and obtaining a PhD brought her to a cabin on the front range of the Rockies, supported by part-time teaching jobs and Fox. This quietly poetic memoir describes the somewhat meandering paths that Raven and Fox, a yearling male, and the runt of his litter, traversed to achieve their unusual partnership. Fox and I by Catherine Raven is available in regular print from the Longmont Library and in ebook and e-audiobook formats from the Front Range Downloadable Library. Please see our website for more details on how to get a hold of that book. And thanks for listening to Book Chatter, the book club for busy people.